Welcome to Adulting. Um, this month's podcast is titled Never Diet Again. Um, and Tara and I have been soaping up our boxes, extra special nice for this episode. And we are going to be tackling um, the diet cycle, diet culture, all things diet, and why they're stupid, and why you should never diet again. Uh, my name is Ryan Mitchell. I'm a registered, registered, a licensed professional counselor. Um, in the state of Oklahoma, and I'm joined by my compatriot in the war against diet, in the war against diet culture, Tara. Rolfus is the last name, Tara. Um, I don't really do much other than the housewife mom thing to three kids. My husband's gone because he's in the army, and I work, and then I do it recovery, and then I'm going back to school. So it's mm-hmm. not much. Um, that is much. To not sell yourself short. That is. A beast load. You're minimizing. <laughs> okay, so we, this is the third time I'm saying this, but you guys just don't know that um, because we've had a lot of technical difficulties today. We were planning on being live um, with you all on YouTube Live. Um, however, I'm not the best with technology, and so we're recording this, and then it crashed. And the computer restarted, and so we're trying this again. And if it fails, I don't know. I just, I don't know. We'll regroup yeah. and try again. I'm going to use all my yeah. self-care. <laughs> eventually, I have to get my kids from school. Yeah, yeah. Eventually, I'll have to pick up mine from their sitter. And so uh, we will we will power on into our best. So let's jump right in. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about the diet cycle, how it sets you up for failure, um, how your body's not even built to diet and all things smashing diets. So Tara, yes. yes. do you want to take over and tell us a little bit about the diet cycle? Sure. It's the uh, diet. Like I call it the diet binge cycle. Cause that's the way it's been described to me many, many, many mm-hmm. times. It's basically what you do is you're like, Oh, I'm being so good. I'm just so good. I'm not going to eat gluten. I'm not going to eat sugar. And so basically what happens is you think about gluten and sugar and it drives you crazy. And then you binge on that thing because your body's like, hey, we need that. And so you eat all the stuff and then you feel the guilt and the shame. Oh, I'm a terrible person. I ate a cupcake. Ten. And then you go back to the diet cycle and you diet again. And then when you're restricting, it happens, it happens. And then you binge and then you feel all the crap again. And then this never freaking ends. Yeah. And those binges could be anywhere from like something little, like it could be a sub subjective binge where you're like, Oh, I'm not supposed to be eating any sugar. And I had a cupcake. Oh my God. And that can start a guilt and shame right there. Um, to as big as like, um, you know, I get, I said I was going to be good, which just means restrict and my body couldn't sustain it. And so I ate a bag of Oreos. Um, <laughs> But I think what's important to to point out is um, when you're restricting, when you're dieting, and again, diet the verb, not diet the noun, when you're dieting, meaning restricting calories, cutting out food groups, um, your body thinks you're in the middle of a famine. It has no idea why it's not getting all of the nutrients it needs. It has no idea why you're um, withholding carbs, which is like its primary fuel source. It has like no idea what's going on. And so it's going to protect you because your body's got your back. And so your body's like, slow everything way down because we don't know when food's coming again. And then it ramps up. Um, it actually makes food taste better because your body's like, I don't know, maybe it doesn't taste good. If we make food taste better, maybe she'll eat more of it. Um, and it drives up your, your hunger cues. So those intense cravings or that lack of willpower you think you have is just your body, um, actually being a rock star at responding to famine. I doesn't want you to die. Isn't that so nice of your body? <laughs> it doesn't give two craps about your gene size, but it does want to keep you alive. Funny story. <laughs> <sighs> Let's see. What else? Oh, well, yeah, when you do that, you obsess about food. So, like, you can get on Pinterest, and you're looking mm-hmm. at these recipes or whatever, and you're like, oh, that looks so good, but I can't have it because I'm doing good. Oh, that looks so great. And then what ends up happening is you make it for your family, 
and they eat it. And then you're like, tell me everything about it, baby. <laughs> like, you're like, I just need to live vicariously through your taste buds. I'm watch you eat that yeah. donut. <laughs> so sexy right now. Can you eat it slower? Tell me all the flavors that are happening. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So what we often call like, again, I, Oh, I just, I I lost my willpower. I fell off the wagon. I fell off my diet is you didn't lose your willpower. You just finally succumbed to your body's natural processes. I mean, really. It's not a big deal. Yeah. uh, Because that, I mean, that points out another thing too, when it comes to emotional eating, I work with a lot of uh, patients who who initially come to me and they tell me like, oh, I'm overeating. It's a big problem. I'm emotionally eating. I only eat when I'm bored. And I'm like, okay, well, walk me through your day. And nine times out of 10, they're in a restriction reaction cycle where during the day they're not eating enough or they're skipping breakfast or they're working through lunch or they're restricting because they're trying to stay under a certain calorie count. And then the end of the day comes and the body's like, well, we got to make up this deficit and the next thing you know, you've eaten, you know, an entire box of macaroni and cheese. That's not emotional eating. <laughs> that is reaction to starvation. That's eating. That's yeah, that's eating. It's regular eating. It's <laughs> a little more extreme. On account of you've not been doing it regularly. Yeah, yeah. On account of you have a big deficit to make up. So of course you're going to eat more to do that. Um geez. We turn this off. Yeah, you know, again, technical difficulties today. Is mine off? Let me check. <laughs> Today's the day for technical difficulties. It is. Um, I got some of my visual aids too. Yes. Because that reminds me too. Because um, here's the thing: sometimes, again, my backwards diet cycle because you can't actually read it, but it has like you know, you diet, you restrict, your metabolism slows down. Then you get the intense cravings and hunger. So either you break your diet or something we don't think about too is like the diet ends one day. Like let's say you're doing a fat loss challenge um, or a biggest loser challenge at your workplace or with your friends. Eventually that challenge is going to end or the whole 30 for 30 days, right? Uh, Eventually that's going to end. And at the end of that, period, you're going to go back to your normal eating, or you're going to reward yourself with the foods that you have been not eating. And meanwhile, you've done that on top of metabolism that's already slowed. So your body's going to hoard all everything yeah. as fat, and you're going to gain back more than what you lost. Yeah, your body's like, you know what, I got you for next time. Clearly famine is an issue in this world. So I'm gonna take care of you. Your body's like, I don't know what the heck is going on, but we're starving sometimes. So we got this. Don't worry. Which is why this one I think you can kind of tell without it needing to be straight. But like, that's why. Like, here's your weight, right? You want it to go down with dieting. And it, it does. Here's the thing. It does work initially. But then again, your metabolism slows down. And so the weight starts to come back on or your diet ends and the weight comes back on. So you're like, oh, crap. I got to diet again. We got to do that again. And then it, but you end up where you started in the freaking first place and having to diet to get there. It makes no sense. Makes no sense. Plus, what, what is it? Something like 95 to 97% of diets fail? Not just fail, oh, Tara. Oh, Not no. just fail. 95% of dieters, um, fail because they fall off the diet and regain it back. And usually then some 95% will also end up weighing more than they did when they started. Like that is, those are not good odds. Like those are not good statistics at all, but, but it is, well, it's a $64 billion industry. And I I mean, that was my stat in like 2010, you guys. I'm not even sure how much it makes now. More but than like, that, I'm sure. Between diet pills, diet books, fat diets, beach body videos, itty video, shakeology, pureology. I mean, I don't know. What else am I saying? You know, or ple- plexus, plexus, right? Those, those things, again, they might work in the immediate term because you're starving. 
you know, and so you might have a little bit of fat loss, but eventually your metabolism is going to slow down um, and other processes are going to slow down and you're going to end up depressed and irritable and moody and poor sleep. And I mean, I can't even think of the untold yeah. negative effects. They Diets really stress you out and they increase your cortisol. And like, yes. cortisol like makes you gain more weight because you're stressed. Yeah, I have this theory. I have no idea if it's right or not. So I'd love like some actual medical professionals to weigh in at some point. But I have this theory that um, when we gain weight after stress, like due to cortisol and then the cortisol makes us want to eat, I have a feeling that our, cause our, our fat organ, you guys, is actually a hormone regulating organ. So I kind of wonder if we end up gaining weight so that our bodies can handle the extra cortisol. But I don't know. That's just like, that's just Ryan's speculation of the day. That's, yeah, it totally makes sense. Like, also too, like when you diet to a point, this is my theory, but you diet to a point where eventually your brain just flips the switch and you go from dieting to eating disorder. And like that point is different for everybody, yeah. but like there's yeah. something in your brain that like just goes whoop and we're done. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If you have, um, you know, there, there are certain genetic, whether you call it a genetic predisposition or like an organic brain structure, um, however it developed, whether it was genetically exposure to trauma, exposure to environment, all of the above, really. Um, there are some people who are just more predisposed to developing eating disorders. So you have, you know, um, 10 women who go on a diet, one of them or more will develop an eating disorder. Because let's not forget that dieting in and of itself is disordered eating. Yes, it is. And it's been actually, dieting has actually been linked to increased risk of cardiovascular disease, increased risk of diabetes and high blood pressure. And like, for me, that just makes me so mad at like every time I go to the doctor and they're like, you just need to lose weight. You just need to go on a diet. And I'm like, first of all, mm -hmm. what the heck's your problem? Oh, yes. There's no scientific evidence backing you up that diets are even healthy. Where in fact, all the scientific evidence mm -hmm. says the latter, that it's not healthy at all. And it leads to all this crap. So why do I want to, why do I want to do that? Oh, that's one of my pet peeves. And, and again, there's so many people I work with who have been, really hurt by medical professionals who don't take complaints seriously, especially if it's anything about like joint or back related. They just assume it's related to weight. Um, they assume anything is related to weight. And beyond that, they assume if you're over a certain number on the BMI that you need to lose weight and you may not need to at all. And number one, number two, nobody really needs to lose weight, right? What we need to do is fix our health habits, right? Weight, weight is kind of like, the red herring here, like the real problem is, is how are you managing your cholesterol? How, how can we stabilize your, how can you eat in a way that stabilizes your blood sugar? Um, how can you move in a way that support, supports joint health rather than lose weight? Lose weight. Lose weight. Restrict your calories <coughs> and exercise like crazy. And while we're at it, I did make a chart about the BMI. Oh, yeah. So it's, it's backwards here, but I want to point out like, and I have one for weight too. Both weight and BMI exist on like this bell curve, right? Um, which means that the majority of the population, right? Here's the percentage of people. Majority of the population fall in these upper, this little range here. And this range of BMI where most people fall backwards, but it's 24 to 28. The mean is 27.7. Do you know... When the category overweight starts on the BMI chart, it's hilarious to me. Yes, I do. <laughs> tell me, tell me. Like, which number or? Yeah, what, what's, what BMI is considered overweight? Not, not number, not weight number, but what BMI? No. Okay, I think it's 25. Yeah, it's like 24 to 25 is overweight. Anything I think above 27 or 28 is considered obese. Anything, anything above 29 or 30. 29 or 30. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's considered like borderline obese at 28, but the mean, the mean, meaning most people, most people 
are do weigh that. And we have to remember too that the BMI is a um, a measurement that was developed for use by insurance companies a hundred years ago. So it's outdated. It's a measure that is meant to benefit people who are like trying to save money and paying you benefits. And, um, and it's meaningless. And it's it was utterly meaningless. Groups of people, not just one person. Right. Right. Um, and just like BMI, we also exist on that continuum too, right? Where you're like, okay, so that's BMI. So then what about actual weight? Same thing, right? We all exist on kind of this bell curve, which means like there's this teeny, 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 tiny, tiny number of people who are like naturally low BMI or naturally low weight. Most of us are kind of in this average range. And then a few people who naturally occur, um, you know, overweight or fat. All body, si- all body sizes and shapes occur on this bell curve. Um, and this is like number of patients. So, I mean, there's a healthy number in here um, to demonstrate its validity. But my point is, is all of those sizes exist. And most of us, most people naturally fall in a range that medical professionals consider to be overweight or obese. And it's like if that BMI is triggered, then all of a sudden you're going to get weight loss counseling without ever being, in my personal experience, I got weight loss counseling um, when I was at my most fit, when I could do pull-ups, push-ups, I could deadlift over 200 pounds. When I was my most fit, I got weight loss counseling (laughs) about how I needed to watch my diet and exercise. It was hilarious. Hilarious. Over and picked up the doctor and deadlift his weight and we're like, and what? No, I, I, you know what? I didn't know what I knew then, and I just kind of smiled and nodded and was like, whatever, fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's funny too that like the bulk of evidence suggests that being five pounds underweight is far more dangerous than being like 70 pounds overweight. Yeah, because of the strain that it puts on all of your systems. Yeah. Um, when you're underweight, your body is constantly trying to decide um, what it can do without. So it's like, okay, something's going to give maybe your mood. How about that? You know, you know, or your sleep or how about your libido? Like, let's not forget that dieting take takes your libido. And then like, and then it's like, oh, maybe, maybe we could lose some hair. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's fun. That's fun. Why don't I just have like this unhealthy pallor to my skin all the time? I love it. Why don't, I just, why don't I just like answer the question, are you okay? Thousands of times because I look deathly <laughs> ill. <laughs> I want that in my life. Yeah. Um, I also want to touch on fad diets for a little bit because it's that time of year and nothing hurts my, nothing hurts my little head and my heart more than seeing people who are like on a ketogenic diet. Oh, do you know how many people I have unfollowed from Facebook? <laughs> Facebook fam, yo, if you have posted yeah. anything diet related in the past month, you have been unfollowed. <laughs> <laughs> I am no longer keeping no lo- Yeah, no longer see posts from this user. Thank you. Um, yeah, and that's a good point, too, that make sure you are cultivating your social media to support your recovery. Um, you don't have to follow somebody who's posting about how they managed to not eat sugar all week. Or who's posting about like um, earning earning their sugar? That's another pet peeve of mine. Oh I had this cookie. It's a good thing I made it to the gym today. Like I don't see how the two are related. That's so weird. That's so weird. How are they related again? That's cool. I think I I had to eat a cookie this week, and I think I did it on a day I didn't work out. Yay! That's awesome. Way to go. Happy, happy dance. So the fad diets. Yes. So um, unless unless your doctor has prescribed it for you, um, and from what I understand from the dietitian that I work with, um, the only people who really need to be maybe on a ketogenic diet are people with seizure disorder. Um, that there might be some validity there in terms of like managing chronic inflammation in the brain. I don't know. Other than that, none of us need to be on it because 
as it breaks down, like your brain uses 20 to 25% of your daily energy and it runs on glucose. So your brain alone uses roughly 700 calories of carbs a day. Just your brain. That's not even your body, your heart, your lungs, your functions, your activity during the day. That's just your brain. It's so crazy. And the keto diet is like, I think it is the the participants or whatever. They only eat like 20 net, net gram carbs a day. And I'm like, whoa, that's only like, you know, I know the calorie count in my head. Yeah. But I'm like, that's not enough. <laughs> no, it's not. All the time. No, it's not. And what happens when your body goes into ketosis, and this is the reason why most people are drawn to it, is um, if when your body goes into ketosis, again, it can't, there's no glucose to run on. So your body's like, we got to change something up. I need something for energy. And so it will convert, it can convert fat cells um, through that ketogenic process to um, something sort of kind of like glucose, but not really glucose. And your brain can use that for about 75% of its needs. So even if you are eating well and you're in ketosis, you're still not getting all of your brain's required energy because it can't, it can't, just can't utilize that energy source very well. So you're going to have foggy thinking, poor sleep, irritability, hangry, low libido, all of the other effects of restriction um, because it's still a restriction. Even if you're eating enough calories on it, if you're not getting any carbs, it's still restriction. Truth. And I know lots of my friends are on the keto diet and they're always like, man, I feel so foggy. Uh, I I know why. (laughs) They're so tired of me preaching to them about that stuff. (laughs) They're like, shut up, Tara. Shut up, Tara. I'm like, what? But I, and I think that brings home a really good point. A lot of people starting a lot of these fad diets claim that they're doing them for health. And I call bullshit. They're not even unhealthy to begin with, the people that I know are doing it. And some yeah. people even have cardio problems. And I'm like, whoa, bro, that's not really good <laughs> for you to do. Like, yeah, yeah. Because if you're having cardio problems, what happens if your body, um, sometimes it can't break down. I don't know the science behind it, so I'm, I'm probably going to misspeak. But if it if they can't utilize the fat very efficiently, it will also it's kind of indiscriminate. It will also break down muscle tissue, um, which it can break down muscle tissue into glucose. So yeah, you're going to lose some fat, but you're probably also going to lose a lot of muscle tone. Um, and if your goal is actually health and not weight loss, that's not a great thing because that can lead to lower bone density, musculoskeletal issues, um, further injury, lower BMR. Yeah, lower BMR. You're not even burning the things that you think you're burning here. Um, Just at the point anyway of any exercise or food is not to like efficiently burn. It's to efficiently operate and function. But like that's my that's my soapbox there because I can't I just really don't understand it at all. Like I'm going to starve my body of the essential nutrients it needs so it can use the rest of my body for something sort of like what it can use or need so that I can uh, slow my metabolism and gain weight later. Uh, yeah, and part of my pet peeve with that is is that the people I know going on the keto diet, they um one of them confided in me how many calories they're eating and i'm like mm-hmm. oh do you know that that's the amount of calories that got me put in patient for an eating disorder like you are on a slippery slope and i tell yeah. them that, like well i just don't feel hungry anymore and like that's not good you're supposed yeah. to feel hungry <laughs> yeah and i just want to remind you if you're an adult you need to be eating above 2000 calories a day and i don't know what that requirement is for each of you right um but if, if, if what, <laughs> here's my other pet peeve. If what you're following requires you to consume less than that, then it's not a lifestyle change, right? It's a diet. It's a diet. Let's get real. Unless, unless you're working with a dietitian and that's where you are right now and you're working your way. Yes. Yes. I, yes. Thank you for saying that. Absolutely. If you are in recovery and you're working on getting to, um, I call it fully fed, right? If you're working on getting fully fed, absolutely. 
Start where you're at, work your way up. Yes. Mm. And make sure you're also getting a variety of food groups in there too. Um, if your dietitian endorses or is okay with you leaving out food groups, then I would get a dietitian, a new one. I've gotten several new dietitians yeah. over the past year. Yeah, yeah, because okay. I, yeah, it's okay. You, I mean, I want people to feel empowered to, to, I mean, because you, you've experienced this to, to say like, no, this, this care isn't adequate. Yeah, exactly. And also, like, you have to practice using your voice too. If you are seeing like any kind of health professional, like your therapist or your your dietitian or your doctor or whatever is not in line with what you're doing and they're saying things that go against what you've learned in recovery or things that are your core values, then that's not going to serve you at all to keep that relationship open. I mean, you got to end that and move on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, find somebody who's going to meet your needs. You deserve it. <laughs> you're worth it. <laughs> really are though um Uh, other outcomes of dieting do we want to do that or ooh, like what um so we start we did weight fluctuation we discussed diabetes and all that fun stuff Mm -hmm. stress how about that dieting can lead you to eating disorders actually i think we yeah we did we talked about we talked about how muscle loss happens and then when you gain the weight back it doesn't come back as muscle it comes back as fat yeah because your body's like i'm gonna protect you boo let me just put down this nice layer of lots of energy for us to use later and again it's just trying to regulate your hormones so what it what happens when you um gain fat is uh in a normal functioning body right that hasn't been super damaged by disordered eating um you will when you gain weight, you'll actually produce, um, you know, that will help you regulate your hunger and your fullness levels as well. So your fat plays a role in that. So when you're gaining weight, if you gain fat, it's trying to also play a role in regulating your appetite, um, either trying to get you to eat more or less. Um, I know we talked about the set point theory a couple of months ago. Um, and I'll try to put a link to that Ted talk on the blog. Um, but that set point theory is like your body has a range, you know, not just like a specific number, but a range, a weight range that it likes to protect. And that's why if you diet below that range, your body will constantly, you will be constantly hungry or thinking about food to try to get you to restore back to that spot. Um, and I think, oh, that reminded me too, Tara, that the thought of food is the first sign of hunger. Ooh, that took me forever to understand. Mm-hmm. I'm like, no, that can't be it. Like, because yeah, it took me forever to cue into the that. Like, you know, I'm thinking about this. Why am I thinking that? Is it, am I hungry? No, I'm just thinking about food. That's what I do because I think you think about food a lot when you have an eating disorder and not realizing that that's a hunger cue. Yeah, I saw this really cool exercise, um, and I've given it as an assignment now, where. It was on the Ed Institute website where you make a tally mark every time the thought of food enters your mind. And then if you eat within 20 minutes, you circle the tally mark and then just see how you're respecting your hunger throughout the day. And I hadn't, I haven't worked with anybody yet who circles every tally mark. It'll be like tally, 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 circle, tally, 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 circle. And those circles are probably right around meal times. Yeah. And, yeah, and that's regardless of diagnosis, whether whether it's um, a restrictive eating disorder or binge eating disorder, compulsive overeating, doesn't matter. You know, eating disorder in OS, doesn't matter. All of my patients do that, where, where there's that disconnect because we, we, we've been taught not to trust ourselves, not to trust our bodies, that if left unchecked, we'll just like eat and eat and eat and eat until we're huge. Um, <coughs> so we don't trust our own hunger. We don't even know what hunger is anymore. We don't even realize that just like having that thought of like, hmm, Cheetos sounds good. Like that's hunger. You know? Like, yeah, I sure would like a cheese stick. Like that's hunger. That's hunger. But we're, we're, we're taught and, and sometimes we 
oh, and this is another pet peeve of mine. I'm going to get up on my soapbox. Is using intuitive eating as a dieting tactic oh. of like, um, oh, well, this diet. Right, right. Of like, oh, well, I'm going to be mindful that I just had the thought of food and now I'm going to check in with my body. But dudes, if the first line of hunger is the thought of food, your body's not going to be registering it yet. <laughs> but you're like, oh, well, my body's not really hungry, so I must not really be hungry. So I must just be bored and I'll distract myself. And then before you know it, you're ravenously hungry and eating everything in the cupboard. I mean, she's right, you know. <laughs> or worse, or worse with a restrictive eating disorder. I don't know if it's worse or just as bad. Uh, with a restrictive eating disorder, you think that this is some kind of failure of yours, you know, yeah. that, that I can't stop thinking about food. And so I've got to double down my efforts to not think about food. That's, yeah, that's me. I, yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. I, the other day, like when I emailed you, I was like, oh my God, I want a donut. That's so weird. I was like, great, eat the donut. Donut. I can't eat a donut. It's not snack time. It's not dinner time. I can't eat a donut. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And and again, that's not that's not intuitive eating, right? Um, I love I love the idea that like true intuitive eating, when you think of the word intuition, like intuition doesn't require any thought. Right? So it, yeah. intuition is intuition because it like it comes from your it's a it's a gut feeling. It's just I just have this intuition like it's not rational. Um, so if we're applying that to eating, then why are you getting your thoughts involved? Because <coughs> they want to be heard and validated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. They do. And it, we can do that without listening to them, though, without like doing what they say and listening to them. Yeah, that's true. That's true. We can listen to them without we can listen to them without obeying them. <coughs> and I think that's an important thing to point out, too, is like your body's got this right. Your body and your brain work in conjunction to keep you at your set point. And then, and then our prefrontal cortex comes in, our rational brain comes in and is like, no, 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 no. But I don't like the way that looks. So I got this from here. That's apparently my problem. I'm too cognitive. <laughs> yeah. Too cognitive. I'm like, I can help it out. I've only ever been filtering every thought I've had since I was like young. So I don't know how to just like put it out there, I guess. And we forget too when we're little, like our our again, unless you had like some, you know, very restrictive parenting where like because again, parents can pa- can pass on their eating issues to their kids. Um, but in general, most kids like don't give thought to what they're eating. Um, they eat what they want when they want, or they bug you about it, right? <laughs> I'm hungry, right? They they don't stop and think, should I eat now? Well, I just had lunch two hours again. I really two hours ago, I really shouldn't be hungry right now. Like kids don't think that way. They're just like, I'm fucking hungry. Like, give me a snack. Yeah. Yes. Can I have this granola bar? Yeah. My, my preschooler the other day, um, it was a really hard day. And I was like, whatever you want for lunch, let's just make that for lunch. She ate a brownie. She had some animal crackers. She had a whole bell pepper and some ranch and she just ate it. I was like, that's intuitive eating. Yeah, yeah. My kiddo, I, I didn't just put whatever down and then she'll go grab out of the fridge <laughs> extra stuff. But like last night we had, um, like there was some pasta, like a little pasta bake, some fruit salad and green beans. And like she ate, our rule is like a couple of bites, you know, just have a couple of bites of each thing and then do your thing. So she had a couple of bites of green beans and a couple of bites of pasta and just threw down on fruit salad and fruit salad and fruit salad. I don't know, fruit salad is delicious, but her body probably needed that, right? And when her body needs some um, some other forms of energy or some protein, she'll get that. Like, she's really great about asking for cheese when she wants it or yogurt. Like, kids just know. Like, and that's also infuriating because, like, one day they'll be throwing down on peas and then the next day they decide they hate peas. And it's not necessarily that they hate them. It's like their body has gotten what they needed from that. It's time for something else. Mm-hmm. You know, um, but somewhere along the line, we decide that we don't actually know how to eat and we need to be told how. And that how 
is probably a diet. I remember when I went to a dietitian before I went to treatment, I was like, oh, finally, like, she's going to give me a meal plan and tell me what to eat and I'm going to recover and it's going to be so great. And then I was just like, it's not how this works, is it? Because <laughs> 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 then she started writing things on my on my meal plan, like cheeseburgers, and I was like, "Whoa, what? <laughs> Hold up!" Yeah, and I I think too when when we talk about not dieting, we have to acknowledge what that's going to trigger in most people, right? Yeah. So, a lot of people, whether you have eating disorder history or not, are going to hear like, "Don't diet," so I'm just going to get fat. I'm just going to get fat. Right. Um, or don't diet, then how am I supposed to get down? How am I supposed to drop four sizes if I'm not dieting? I'm supposed to? Um. Ding, 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 ding. Why not? Because it's not, not everybody is made to fit in a size whatever. Yeah, that stupid bell curve, right? There is like, you know, body diversity in the world. Like, not everybody is made to fit in that 4% of people who are naturally stick thin. Like, we, we need some women out there rocking their curves and, mm-hmm. you know, et cetera. Yeah. Um, and, and recognizing, too, that, like, fitness and weight are not related. No, right? they're not. They're not at all because you can be, you can be low weight, average weight, underweight, and be malnourished um, with tachycardia and on the verge of a heart attack. Um, you can be overweight and running ultramarathons. I just posted a, a video not too long ago about um, this awesome woman named Minerva. REI did a video of her who runs ultramarathons. And she gets a lot of hate mail, too, for people who are like, you're not actually running. You're too fat to be a runner. It's like, dude, she's out there running 50 miles. What are you doing? Exactly. How's your couch and your Cheetos, bro? Yeah. Or like... Your games. Yeah, and there's a lot of like body positive um, yoga out there too. And I love showing that like they're more flexible than I am. Again, fitness, flexibility has zero to do with weight or appearance. You can't tell. Yeah. You can't tell anything what's going on metabolically or medically with anybody, even from their BMI. Um, I saw not too long ago. I wish I could show you guys. Maybe I'll put a link. There was a study of two, I think it was two men. Exact same BMI, both were, you know, muscular, both were fit. But when they did an MRI scan of their internal organs, um, one of them had a lot of fatty deposits in his organs, right? One of them did not. I don't know why. I'm not going to claim to know why, but I would love, love, love to look into their dieting history. Yeah, my guess I would love that. The extra fatty deposits did a lot of yo yo dieting. Yeah, yeah. Or having a lot of, um, here's the thing too, that with with men especially is, and women, um, more on that um, athletic spectrum is the cheat day, right? Or you eat like super, super, quote unquote, clean, um, aka restricted, avoiding food groups. And then one day a week, you allow yourself to eat anything you want. I'm not convinced that's actually healthy for you. A lot of people say, well, like, well, it keeps your metabolism from slowing down. Um, A, not true. (laughs) Not true. Um, And B, like, all that's doing is setting you up again for that, that, like, um, internal fat and organ insulation that's actually the most unhealthy for you, as opposed to just eating as normally as you can consistently. That's like um, people who do intermittent fasting. Yes. They don't eat like all day and then they'll work out and stuff. I don't even know how they do that. And then they, um, they'll eat like their full day's requirements, like 2000 calories or whatever in one setting. Just sit there and they'll eat it in like pizza, like macaroni and cheese pizza, just all these outrageous foods, but like fits their macros. Mm-hmm. And, um, it's just, it's like, oh, that is super effed up. <laughs> oh, I'm glad you said macros. Cause here's the thing too. Restricting macros is also restriction. Especially macros. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. That's, that's why they're macros and not micros. Yes. Yeah. But people are like, I'm only going to, like you said, with the keto, I'm only going to stick to 20 grams of carbs. Oh my gosh. 
Okay, you're going to die. Uh, like, multiply that times 10, and uh, you'd be good. 20 gar- carbs isn't even one, or isn't even, like, my lunch carb exchange needs. Like, <laughs> I need 30. Yeah. Lunch. Like, oh, goodness. Um, what's another fad day? Uh, Whole30 or paleo. I really want to talk about... Um, this panacea that we think clean eating is going to be because it's, it's like totally not. Um, and a lot of people, I think too, especially with eating disorder backgrounds or histories, um, look for things like kind of latch onto things. Um, that's health conscious, uh, vegetarianism, veganism, paleo, whole 30, you know, things like that, clean eating. And, um, it leads to a condition called orthorexia. Right, where you're, it becomes so hyper-focused on things being pure or feeling pure from it, being clean, that you it becomes debilitating. It starts to limit where you can eat, what you can eat, who you interact with. Your world kind of gets smaller and smaller. And you're also malnourished. Yes. Orthorexia is part of my deal. It's part of the... I throw down with orthorexic crap all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I used to spend like hours at the grocery store just looking at labels and comparing labels. Like who lives like that? Yes. Oh, and that, that brings up a really good point too, Tara, which is like my other thing is like, imagine. Okay. So I know we get excited about dieting initially because there's the planning, right? These are the foods I can eat. These are the foods I can't eat. And this is when I'm going to go to the gym and this is going to be like, and I'm going to cook and I'm going to meal prep on Sundays and it's going to be beautiful. Um, But it's a lot of fucking time and energy. And I don't know about you, but like, I don't want to look back in 10 years and be like, well, I haven't accomplished any of my personal goals, but I have dieted like a champ. <laughs> I really, yeah, really hit that eating disorder real hard. Really <laughs> uh, took away my heart health and like everything else. But uh, yeah, these jeans yeah. are real nice. Yeah. Or there was an article not too long ago about um, a woman who struggled with orthorexia and her skin ended up turning orange. Oh, I read that. Yeah. Because uh, again, not enough nutrients, too much of some. Your body's out of whack. You need all the foods. Yeah. And orthorexia sucks too. Like, because there are times where I'll be like, I really want to eat that. And then I'll think, oh, I can't eat that because it has this in it or it has that in it and blah, 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 blah. And then like, I'm going down all the scientific reasons of why that's bad and how it gets processed in the body. And I don't want to eat it anymore. But, <laughs> Yeah, which is funny because how it gets processed in the body is, I'll tell you how it gets processed in the body. All foods get processed in the body pretty much the same way, right? Which is they enter your digestive system, (laughs) you extract into your bloodstream anything that's useful and anything that's not passes through. And sure, at high concentrations and high doses, could we be harmed by some of the additives and chemicals in our food? Probably. Is it wise to have a mostly whole foods diet? Probably. But that doesn't mean you can't eat those things, right? So what an eating disorder tends to do is it takes healthy guidelines and it turns them into rules and restrictions. Mm-hmm. Um, and a guideline is just that. It's a guideline. And here's the thing about any guideline. No guideline is one size fits all because you are coming with your own unique um, genetics, heredity, um, how you've been shaped by your environment. Like you, You're coming as a totally unique genetic being um to the same advice you know health advice or health guidelines that are you really useful for somebody else may not be useful for you exactly yep i think that's probably why i get so frustrated when doctors are just like lose weight like you don't mm-hmm. know anything about my health profile what i can do in a gym you know how many miles i can run you don't know any of that but uh yeah how I how I actually eat or don't eat yeah yeah right you don't know any of that crap but okay go ahead on with your (laughs) obesity epidemic spiel so you can line your pockets with that cash yeah yeah at a certain point we have to start questioning what we've been sold by diet culture too because again to adhere to diets to want to diet right to engage in this behavior to begin with there has to be some body dissatisfaction Right. Nobody's just like, I think I'll diet because I love the way I look. I think I'll diet because everyone's so kind and compliments me all the time. Nope. (laughs) 
That's no. never been a personal reason why I've died. <laughs> so, I mean, to that end, we, in order to buy into dieting, you've got to buy into the idea that, that you're not good enough as you are and that your body, which again, we have a wide spectrum of naturally occurring body sizes. So there's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with your body if it doesn't fit what 3% of the population looks like. But we're, we're sold that idea that it is. We're also sold the idea that there's something wrong with us if we don't want to lose weight. Yeah, we are. And I hate that. Like, there's nothing worse than um, comparing. So for me, like, when I was at a certain weight, like last year, people treated me differently. Like they treated me like good and all that. And this year now that I've gained the weight back because diets and eating disorders don't work, um, they treat mm-hmm. me differently now. Like, oh, I must be lazy. Oh, I must eat all the food in the world. Like I sat on break from work once with the dietitian that I work with. I was like, do you know what I'm hold up <laughs> I was like yes I do <laughs> and then I went off on her about health every day as an intuitive meeting but <laughs> yeah yeah because people need to know we it's so pervasive that everyone has bought into it without stopping to actually like question why and I like what you posted recently like the uh, the Fitzbo that had been fixed yeah and it's like no excuses you know it's like wait a minute excuses are fine because life happens and you know you have other priorities. <laughs> I like the Oreo cookie one. It's like one Oreo equals 70 jump, jumping jacks. And it says one Oreo is delicious. Yes. I love that one. <laughs> but the idea that you have to like earn food, earn calories that you should want to, because again, it becomes about look, not actually about fitness, right? Yeah. Strong as the new skinny isn't actually about what your body can do in the gym. That's just about what it looks like. Yeah. It's like just another tool for body shaming. Hashtag strong is a new skinny. It's like, no. Uh, are you getting mentally strong and spiritually strong and physically strong? Or are you just wanting to appear strong so you can also be skinny? Like, what's the message here? I don't. Gym selfie. <laughs> Watch me as I deadlift this. Yeah, dumbbell because I can't do the bar. (laughs) But I think that was that was a lesson that actually took me a really long time to learn. Um, Not just that weight and health aren't related, but that if I'm focused on weight loss, that I'm not actually focused on health. Oh yeah, right. That they 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 don't really coexist really well. Um, Because if I'm focused on health, right, it is healthy to move your body, right? It is healthy to kind of keep your joints supple. Oh, that word supple. It. It is healthy. Yeah, I know. Supple. You have some real supple joints there. Right? <laughs> Flexibility, strength, to not get winded chasing after my toddler and now my six-month-old twins, right? To manage any, um, to keep, well, to maintain my cardiovascular health. Those things are the reasons to exercise. Um, but if you're engaging in those things just simply to change your body shape, you will suffer every time. You will either suffer because you'll push yourself too much beyond injury. You won't get enough rest or you'll suffer because you'll be hating on your body for not losing weight when you should be loving on it when you're exercising, right? You're doing that because you care for it, not because you hate it. Mm, Yeah. I used to like set super disordered goals, obviously about how I wanted to look, et cetera. And like this year, I just made the intention that I wasn't going to set any fitness goals other than I want to do X amount of pull-ups by whenever I freaking can because I've worked mm-hmm. my way up to it. And like, so this whole year has just been about um, reframing all of my thoughts because like, do I want to lose weight? Yes. Do I also think that I probably won't lose weight? Yes. Because <laughs> <laughs> my body's pretty mm-hmm. screwed up right now and it's just healing lots of stuff. So, and I'm trying to be okay with that, but also focusing on like, loving my body the way it is and you know really wanting like i really want do i want to go on a keto diet heck yes do you see how much weight those people lose? <laughs> <laughs> i know it's disordered I mean, and like i know the scientific stuff behind it so i'm like mm, probably shouldn't yeah. or not like i'm not 
you know, I'm not those people. I can't do that. And they shouldn't be doing it either. But yeah, because again, even if here's the thing, if you are, quote unquote, a successful dieter, right, meaning you diet and you lose weight, um, you're also going to be, I don't know, stuck is the right word. But you're going to be in this position where either you keep restricting for the rest of your life and you stay suboptimal and you stay, you know, with poor libido and poor sleep and hangries and irritability and mild depression, right. To maintain that weight loss, right. Super fun, right. That sounds great. Sign me up. (laughs) Or you go back to eating normally and you gain the weight back. So again, it is your focus weight loss or health because they're not the same. My focus this year is just getting like getting physically stronger and I don't care what that really looks like mm-hmm. and um, try not to be like crazy around food and try not to have my whole days like thought up of like foods I can and can't eat and fear foods and how much I need to restrict and all that. Like just trying to do the normal thing and eat the things that are super uncomfortable, but also like finding that line between being uncomfortable and being safe. Cause mm-hmm. I'm I want to set myself up for failure. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like you're, you're constantly challenging, challenging yourself to tiptoe up to that line without going back into, yeah. Yeah. Or going back into like, um, cause a lot of times with anxiety, there's that avoidance cycle where it's like, I'm going to avoid that food. So I don't have to feel the anxiety about it. So it's finding your tolerance level for anxiety, right? It's finding the thing that like is challenging, but it's not going to make you run screaming. Yeah, for me, um, an example of how I did that this week was I was challenged to add more high fat protein into my meal plan, mm-hmm. like beef and salmon and stuff. And like, I can't cook beef. It grosses me out. I don't know why it just does. But I did a meal prep service and I had them prepare the meat for me. So all I mm-hmm. did is heat it up. And like last night I had Korean beef barbecue or something. Oh, that was lit. That was so- <laughs> Yeah, and that's another thing too. Imagine how much pleasure we're missing out on. Yeah. Right? And we forget that like, oh, I love this too. Um, we forget that like we're, we're we're built to enjoy food. Like it's supposed to be pleasurable. The things that are essential to our survival, we tend to enjoy, you know, food, sex, sleep. <laughs> we tend to enjoy those things. Um, and one thing that really gets me going this time of year is the whole like sugar addiction thing. And I heard it explained so beautifully on um, don't salt my game, that podcast uh, where they were talking about how um, when people are quoting about the neural pathways, right? Oh, do you know that sugar has the same neural pathways as cocaine? It's super addictive. Well, actually it's like the chicken or egg situation. Those neural pathways existed, right? Mm-hmm. existed for sugar like that's the proper pathway and cocaine hijacks those pathways <laughs> it's not fair to it's not fair to sugar like we're just, no, it's not fair to sugar because we're like oh my god sugar is as addictive as cocaine because it lights up the same pathway it's like wait 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 that was sugar's pathway to begin with cocaine hi- yeah cane came in there and was like ran it um taking up a job ruining your brain whenever someone says that to me i'm gonna go how do you know that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I saw it on Pinterest. Oh, it must be true. I saw, I saw an infographic without any sources cited. Must be true. Really must be true. in college, huh? Yeah. And so it's like, here's the thing, you guys. Food isn't addictive. Yes, there are reward pathways. Yes, we're supposed to feel pleasure when we eat food. And it's other addictions that hijack those naturally occurring pathways. So the fact that you love food and you enjoy food is not a problem to solve. It's just not. Love it. Just do it. Like yeah. we always say, eat the damn cookie. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And if you're and if you're on the opposite end of that and you're more on the restrictive end and like food is is terrifying. Again, we are built to enjoy food. We are built to seek food. It's like um and we need food to live and to function properly. So being mad at yourself for wanting the thing that's going to keep you alive, 
you know, that's a little twisted, right? And so we have to start to untwist some of that thinking, number one. And number two, well, let's get into, you know, get into with your therapist about that survival, you know, about your right to exist and to thrive. Cuts a tarot. I was just thinking, I'm like, I hope my therapist doesn't listen to this one. <laughs> You're like, that's good. That's good. That's good. I'll bring that up on my own time. Thanks. <laughs> when I'm yeah. ready. Thank you. Yeah. Which will be never. So. <laughs> <laughs> probably mean I should bring it up. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing too. We, you also have to be really mindful when you're um, cultivating your social media is that piece. Um, oh, brain fart. That's okay. Oh, that piece again, being sold, being sold body dissatisfaction, like being sold, not just here's a strategy for weight loss, but that you should want it. Right. Um, I can't, I use this example a lot. I can't for the life of me think about what beauty campaign it was, but I remember seeing a YouTube video questioning a beauty campaign where it was embrace your flaws was the tagline. Oh, was it Dove? I don't know. Cause that's like that. I don't, I can't remember exactly, but the tagline for this campaign was embrace your flaws. And I was like, Oh, that's so great. And then I'm watching it. And the person questioning the video was like, but wait a minute to do that. I have to agree that they are flaws. So if I'm going to embrace my flaws, own my flaws, rock my flaws, anything with my flaws, I have to agree that I have flaws rather than just neutral, right? We have to agree that having farset eyes is a flaw, right? Rather than just neutral, right? A description. Her eyes are farset, right? We have to agree that uh, my cheeks, right? I always used to be self-conscious about my cheeks. We have to agree that, that, you know, having cheeks is a flaw, for me to accentuate my cheekbones. I don't want to cry right? over my face. I'm 32. <laughs> and you don't have time to sit and watch a YouTube video with five different shades of concealer <laughs> and be like, I need to accentuate my cheekbones. I, mean, I don't give a crap. My husband's okay that I don't contour my face and I ain't trying to please nobody else. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, but you think about those things that we're, we're told that you're just who you are is flawed because it doesn't fit an ideal again that either depending on who you ask you know for photoshop either doesn't exist or only exists in about two percent of the population right. um but then i have to agree that every, you know that these are flaws for me to rock them how about just rock just just rock just you just or you do you boo rock you i want to show this as rock you although i think it might be taken incorrectly Everybody, yeah, rock your body. <laughs> I don't know what that. Little throwback, little throwback to the nineties. Um, okay, so we're we're about out of time. Yeah. But anything else you want to preach? I want to preach. Um, just health at every size. If you don't know what it mm-hmm. is. And we've discussed it in previous episodes, although I'm not very sure which ones, but um, you need to look that up because it is such a free movement to be like, oh, I weigh X amount of pounds and I can still get strong and still be physically fit and still eat food that is enjoyable, that meets my needs, whatever, and still be healthy. Like Mm -hmm. health is not an indicator of size. Period. End of discussion. Scientific evidence proves that. Yeah, doctors are full of shit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Amen. Yeah, because here's the thing, too. Um, next time you're tempted to diet, just remind yourself again, 95% of people fail on diets, meaning they fall off the diet and they regain the weight and usually then some. And so you ask yourself, um, I love the Anne Lamott quote, too. Like, uh, how much do you want to weigh next? How much weight do you want to gain? I'm going on a diet. Oh, that's great. How much weight do you plan on gaining? Yeah, I love that. Like, oh, hmm. So next time, instead of focusing on the diet, focus instead on actual healthful behaviors, um, actual healthy behaviors with food, with exercise, not just with food and exercise, but your whole health, right? Your spiritual health, your emotional health, your physical health, your relationship health, all markers of health. Um, try to focus on goals that are like, like you said, not be crazy around food, um, to be able to do a pull up, actual like 
tangible goals that are meaningful to you and related related to your values. Because if it's weight loss, it's not related to a value of health. It might be related to a value of aesthetics. And then you have to decide, is aesthetics more important in my life right now than getting shit done? Exactly. And I think it's important to bring up the fact too that yes, 95% of people fail, but the other 5% are just restricting their calories so much that they're never yeah. gaining any weight ever. So it's like you lose either way. <laughs> well, and again, I haven't seen the research on it, but let's, let's keep in mind too that, mm, what did I say? One in 10, about one in 10 dieters will develop an, eat, an eating disorder. And this is not just for adolescent women or girls, y'all. This is like men and women of every age at any point in your life, this can develop. So your next diet could be your next eating disorder, FYI. Um, so I don't know. I went off for a rant there. I forgot my original point. <laughs> um, I think we're That's talking okay. about the 5% of people who never gained the weight. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that, those 5% probably keep it off because they developed an eating disorder. I'm yeah, just saying. Exactly. That's just, I'm putting it out there. Like, I know some 5%ers. Like... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Like I lost it, kept it off. Yeah, I lost it and kept it off. But now I'm like obsessed about food all the time, and I don't go anywhere, and I don't do anything, and I think about it, and it's ruining my relationships and my health. These GI problems. I have all these issues that I don't know where it's stemming from. Something must be wrong. Oh, it's probably some autoimmune disorder. When really, it's just your body telling you we need some help. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So. In future episodes, we can kind of talk more about, um, I don't know what to call it, real eating. Because, I, again, I have, like, this kind of, like, icky feeling about intuitive eating, the way it's misused. Um, I hate the word normal eating. Fully feeding. Yeah, being fully fed. So we can kind of talk more about, like, what fully fed looks like um, and how to handle some of those challenges in early recovery, mid-recovery, late recovery as we go on. Um, any special topics that have been on your brain, Tara? No, I, I too have really been wanting to talk about being fully fed, intuitive eating or whatever, and what that really entails. And maybe we can discuss some of the principles behind it. That yeah, yeah, absolutely. How to and what that really looks like. And I like, like, I definitely want to talk about, you know, early recovery because that is just some, like, you jumping out an airplane and nobody told you how to use a parachute. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And it's also crazy making too. We could talk, oh, that's a good one. It's like, we could talk a little bit um, about that, like, uh, that shift. Mm. I don't know how to describe that shift that, like, the crazy making part of recovery where you're, like, aware of the disordered thought, but the healthy part isn't strong yet. Because I think that's the hardest part, and that's where most people quit. So maybe we can give some love to that phase, too. Yeah. The three months out of inpatient treatment, that's usually what I call it. Yeah. Or as I used to say, like, you know, you didn't climb the mountain in treatment. We just dropped you off at the base of the mountain with a backpack full of tools. And hopefully you'll meet some Sherpas along the way. Hopefully. I mean, hopefully you took yeah. a class in recovery or in treatment about rock climbing. They offered that. You didn't take that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like you. And I was like, but I got a mountain tattoo. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but climbing it, man. Yeah, getting the tattoo is easy. Was it free follow that says only the core of a mountain knows the core of another mountain? Yeah, and I've taken that and twisted it in terms of my own work, just to be like, you know, also to alleviate some of your, you know, pressure we put on our partners to understand this. But like, only only the mountain knows the mountain. Mm-hmm. I tell you, I'm sorry, Frida. I took that a step further and just was like, you know, only the mountain knows the mountain. Yeah. <laughs> made it way more sense. Frida's all complicated with her issues. <laughs> her love oh, life. Frida. Is so up. Oh. And her chronic pain. Yeah. yeah her chronic pain, the car accidents. <laughs> all right. So. I know a lot about Frida. I didn't know that. <laughs> Who knew? Who knew? Uh, I need to go do the parent pickup line thing and get my elementary aged kids. Okay. Um, that'll be fun. <laughs> Maybe I'll get mom shamed again. Woo! Yay, mom shame. So no mom shame here, no body shame here. And we will keep moving through um, our approach to normal eating. 
yeah. being fully or being fully fed um, and weaving in those health at every size principles as we go. And if you have so. questions or things that you want us to talk about, go ahead and email us at R Mitchell at resiliencecentertulsa.com. Um, you can also, once we get the video posted, I'm going to play with having comments available. Um, if we can keep them respectful, curious, and open, um, if they start to deteriorate into any kind of body shaming or food shaming, they're going to get shut down. So, uh, and I'm going to flip you off with my face. Yeah. So. Tara will flip you off with her face. You don't want I'm that. So we'll play with some comments there. If you have any questions or ideas for future shows, you can um, place them there. And let us know what you think about this video format and if we should repeat that in the future. Okay. We'll see you next time. Toodaloo.